I'm Brian and I'm an alcoholic. Thanks everybody for being here. Uh, I made this commitment uh, a little while back and you know you, you, in Alcoholics Anonymous I've always learned and, and been taught that when you do something in Alcoholics Anonymous it, it's, it's a privilege because uh, you know I should be drunk today. You know and the, the, the fact that I am sober is a gift and I've been sober for a little while. Um, my sobriety date is July 1st, 1987. Uh, so I just celebrated 30 years. How do you get 30 years? One day at a time. The bottom line, it's one day at a time. And uh, my mom passed away with th uh, 43 years of sobriety. And at the end of her life, she didn't know my name. She would call me Barack Obama. I am not Barack Obama. And I'm not Ali. And I'm not all the other names she called me. But uh, she was suffering from dementia, and I had the gift of being able to take care of her the last 14 months of her life. And I had somebody challenge me in a meeting one time and say, hey, uh, how can you bathe your mom? And I looked at him and said, how could you not? So, you know, those are some of the gifts that you have given me. Um, I don't know if there's any Tool fans in here, but uh, I was listening to Tool on my way in. I was out in... in uh, California for a little while and went to the Tool concert and that was a spiritual experience. If anybody's familiar with Tool, so uh, you know you never never grow out of rock and roll. And uh, I, that's one thing that I've learned in here is to open up my mind to be open to other things. You know, I, I just kind of know. I, I'll go from going to the symphony to listening to Tool. So and all points in between. Uh, country. We'll just leave that open. Uh, Anyways, I am an alcoholic, and uh, I'm going to validate that by some experiences that I have. Um, you know, from my first drink until my last, I never drank enough, and the book tells me that. The physical allergy, you know, I, I would promise myself I would not drink too much tonight, and it always ended up I drank too much. I uh, never knew when to stop. So that physical allergy was in me from the beginning. And throughout my years, guess who I blamed? My mom, my dad, my upbringing, all of those excuses that I used. Maybe you have some experience with that because it's never my fault that I drank the way I drank. It was because of my upbringing and the fact that I lived in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And anybody familiar with the football team from Wisconsin? No? Okay. Well. Anyways. Uh, and if you don't get my sense of humor, it's because I, I try real hard to be funny, and sometimes my delivery, it works for me, you know, because I get it, and, you know, there's certain people that I can listen to, and I get their humor, but uh, there's a serious side behind me, too. Um, from the very beginning, you know, as far as uh, my sobriety, I've, I've been challenged to go after this like I drank, and how I drank was, it was all or nothing. Um, I can remember two experiences that I had. One was uh, I was at a wedding, and I don't know about you, but when you started to drink, uh, or when I started to drink, they never knew what they were going to get. You could get a crying Brian, you know, a loving Brian, or an angry Brian. And uh, so I was asked when I, before I got to this wedding to, to not drink. And uh, I was a grown man. I mean, I was over 18 at this time. And uh, the people I went with, they asked me not to drink because they never knew, you know, and, and they knew the signs early on. And uh, I, uh, 
they were sitting at this table right here and there was a like a wall over here and the bar was over here so I hid over there and bought a pitcher of beer and I'd be drinking it and leaving it and you know coming back and you know before you knew it I was in a blackout and causing all kinds of destruction and you know that's that's the way I drank you know I promised many people that I wouldn't do that but the the person that I promised the most was myself you know, I don't know if anybody woke up with those four hideous horsemen, the terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair the night after, and you wake up and you, you kind of maybe sort of remember what happened, and then people fill in the gaps for you, and they say, well, this is what inside, oh, my God. So, you know, it's just kind of one of those things that, that happens. Uh, I used to go into situations and apologize before, <coughs> I knew I was going to cause some harms. I'd say, I'll apologize now. And then I was a blackout drinker. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. So it's just one of those things that, um, you know, when I started, the physical allergy kicked in and I never had enough. So my book, the book tells me that, you know, an alcoholic of my, my type is a hopeless alcoholic. I have no power, choice, and control over alcohol. And the thing was, is I never wanted to do those things. You know, I always set myself up to say, hey, uh, I'm not going to do that again. Or the circumstances, I'm going to set the stage with who I'm going to interact with, who I'm going to hang out with. And guess what? Those intentions were really good. And then all of a sudden, you know, somebody came up to me and said, what are you going to do tonight? And my intentions were I was going to work out and, and uh, you know, play basketball or do something. And if they said they were going to the NCO club, guess where I went? NCO club. You know, I never had any willpower to choose what I wanted to do because alcohol was my God. I was powerless over alcohol. My last drink is November 5th, 1986, and uh, that day is a day that, you know, was the beginning of this journey, um, and it doesn't line up with my sobriety date, and I'll get into that. But uh, that day I had all intentions in the world. I just moved off base and had a little girlfriend, and you know, living off base in England and everything, the stage was set for me. I mean, it was like, wow, I got my freedom. I don't have to live in the dorm with all these other guys. And so, uh, you know, I was off, off base for about a week. And coming back on base, my intentions were to go do my laundry. And I had the change to go do my laundry. And uh, coming through the gate in my car and had my laundry, had my change in my pocket. And it was like, well... I know they're not having fun at the NCO club without me. So guess where I went? To the NCO club. And I proceeded to get a DUI on November 5th, 1986. And the thing that happened then was, uh, and I don't know if anybody else can relate to this, I was a runner. You know, if things got kind of heavy over here or, you know, circumstances were too much for me to face, I would run. And uh, that night, you know, it, it was like I wanted to run. I got pulled over and... The security guard said, we're going to give you a breathalyzer. And it's like, ugh. And the thing was, is he left the gate up. So he gave me an opportunity to leave. You know, and, and I promise you, everything in me was go, run. Face the consequences later, whatever they would be. And uh, a power greater than myself kept me there to face the consequences of what I was up against. And I had three drunken disorders before that. The Air Force was really, you know, looking at me with uh, eyes. I had, uh, I had a letter come from my base in Hawaii that I read later on after I got sober. The uh, commander in Hawaii told the commander, my incoming commander, watch out for this one, he's trouble. 
that was written documentation in my personnel file. So it's like, whoa, you know, trouble. Uh, and uh, anyways, on that day, I didn't run. You know, I, I stayed there and I suffered the consequences of my actions. And the, the thing was, is I knew I was an alcoholic long before, you know, I had all this uh, trauma or uh, trouble in my life. I did. Inside, I knew there was something wrong with the way I drank because I blacked out most of the time. I was not a successful drunk. I was just a blackout type of person that, you know, didn't know what he was doing and, and uh, just kind of got lost in that, that lifestyle. But that day, I didn't run, and uh, that's the first time that I ever asked for help. Um, I had to go see the base commander, and he said, uh, what do you want to do? And that was the first time that the words, I'm an alcoholic, I need help, came out of my mouth. And that was November 5th, you know, my DUI. The next day was November 6th. And, you know, that was the first time I, I asked for help. And uh, things unfolded quickly for me. Uh, I went through treatment, and the Air Force, they, they just kind of, that's part of what they do. And, you know, you have social actions after that. And it was kind of neat because the social actions, uh, counselor was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous you know so it lined up for me and it allowed me to see that you know AA does work and she was able to take me to meetings and uh, you know guide me in the process of getting me connected with with uh, other alcoholics men and uh, it was just part of uh, my discovery of Alcoholics Anonymous and I didn't mention that I grew up in Alcoholics Anonymous my mom did have 43 years and I used to go to AA meetings. There were five kids, and Mom would take us all, and Alcoholics Anonymous welcomed her, you know, with five kids, and they would help out with the kids while she was getting sober. And it was just a gift that I was able to, to witness in my life. And, and, and I love seeing kids in meetings. There's a meeting that I go to on Sunday night that allows kids to be there, and that warms my heart. Because the bigger picture is, you know, the parents, you know, are trying to stay clean and sober, and there's a chance for those children to not have the destruction that maybe, you know, if they were drinking, they, they would experience, so. But uh, uh, I didn't run that night. It was like, uh, you know, my, my life unfolded before me. I went through treatment, and uh, I started, uh, got a sponsor quickly in the program, and uh, when I went through treatment, his wife was in the treatment center with me. And I'm, I'm sharing this because there's a lot of reasons why we don't stay in Alcoholics Anonymous, and there's a lot of reasons why we should stay in Alcoholics Anonymous. And this one was my sponsor had about eight years, and his wife went back to alcohol, and she went through the treatment center with me. And um, while we're going through the treatment center, she had one of those treatment center relationships. And this is my sponsor, and, you know, it's just kind of one of those things you just walk through. You know, it's like, well, how does this unfold? And... So we're uh, at his house doing step work, and uh, she came up. She was drinking Jack Daniels. Anybody like Jack Daniels in here? I do. Uh, uh, she was drinking Jack Daniels, and, uh, you know, we're talking, and, you know, he's guiding me through the steps, and uh, lo and behold, uh, she comes up and says some things to him. I don't know what they mean. And uh, he got uh, angry, very angry, and he, uh, he reached under the bed and picked up a crossbow. And I'm sitting there, mm, three months, a little over three months sober, thinking, what the heck is this? And uh, she was coming up the steps again, and I'm thinking, what is this all about? And all I did was look at him, and I said, you're scaring me. 
You know, I mean, I didn't, I don't know, where did that come from? It's like, wow. So he took the crossbow and put it under the bed, and uh, we went for a walk for like two hours. And, uh, you know, who sponsored who or who helped who that night? You know, and that was an early experience that I had to understand that we're all humans and we all walk through things and we never know what we're going to confront in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, anyways, we, we walked through that and, and uh, come to find out he went back to drinking because uh, it was just too much for him to, to walk through. And that's one thing that I've learned over the years is that if you don't have a foundation in this process, um, there's going to be some reason or excuse that people are going to go back out. And I've seen it over the years that I've been here. I have. People use whatever excuse they think is viable for them to go back and do what they do. And, uh, I, I, and I don't mean this in any other way that I'm thankful for those people coming back and telling me, you know, why they went out, you know, what excuse they used. Uh, but I, I'm also thankful for the people that stay around. You know, it's, it's like, wow, you know, my sponsor in England, he's still sober, you know, my other sponsor. Um, but went through that and, uh, you know, had to do the checking the box with the social actions and go to the weekly meetings and all of that. But my life just seemed to open up in a way that I, I couldn't describe uh, in any other way other than I was, I was on a quest uh, to stay clean and sober and to uh, open up my, I guess, my heart to, you know, this God that I don't understand most of the time in the process of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, it, uh, it just happened. Um, after that sponsor went back out, I got another one, and this guy was all about the big book. And he would give me CDs. Uh, Joe Anastancel from Cincinnati. I don't know if anybody's ever heard him, but he made me laugh, and I... I would listen to him and just, he, he used the re word recovered. And it's in, and it's in our book. It's, on the first, it's one of the first promises in our book. How many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. What a beautiful promise, you know, on the title page. Uh, but listening to CDs, going through the work, uh, discovering who I was and, and how I was powerless over alcohol. But the real trick for me is I was 24 years old. And how do, you, how do you relate to your life is unmanageable? What does that mean? And what I realized was that I, I'm out of management and I have to trust this power greater than myself in all areas of my life. And I, I didn't know what that meant. All I knew is just to continue down the path and, and uncover that and, and see what it meant to me. Um, where I got sober, there wasn't a lot of meetings. There was one meeting a week it was on Chicksands, England's base. And, uh, you know, I had to, what do I do between Wednesday to Wednesday? You know, I had the book. I had the 12 and 12. I had CDs or cassettes. And I had to stay focused. Um, calling people was, you know, an option at times. But it was just one of those things. You know, I just had to dig deep as to what it was that you guys had to offer. And it wasn't about the meetings. It was about identifying myself in this book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, you know, I've, uh, I've done that since I've been here. Um, how do you explain 30 years of sobriety in 40 minutes? You just can't. So. But, but the reason my, my sobriety date is no, uh, July 1st, 
87 is because I smoked some pot. And uh, it was one of those things, uh, when I got back, my sponsor challenged me on that. He's like, because uh, oh, I went on vacation. I went home to Milwaukee and then went down to my best friend's house in, in Texas, Garland, Texas. And, you know, he, I got off the plane and he's like, let's go buy the liquor store. And I said, well, you know, I don't drink anymore. And then he pulled out this little baggie and said, well, I got some of this. I was like, okay, I wasn't prepared for that. And uh, anyways, I just wanted him to like me and, you know, connect again. And, you know, that's the reason I did it. I, uh, I'd given up drugs a long time before that, but it was just kind of one of those things. I was like, oh. Uh, but anyways, that's why I changed my sobriety day. And I've been free ever since. You know, I don't have to hide behind the delusion that I'm clean and sober. And I've been able to share with people because a lot of people, they want to, you know, compare your, your experience with their experience, and it, it, there's no comparison. It's just that's my experience, and you have to have your own experience. And I'll say, well, what really caused you to change your sobriety day? And I'll say, uh, well, I called people in California. I called people in England. I called people in Texas. I called people in Georgia. Tell me what to do, you know, because I always want you to tell me what to do so when it doesn't work, I have somebody to blame. You know, that's my <laughs> mode of operation all the time. So... Tell me what to do, and then when it doesn't work, I'll blame you. But uh, everybody that I talked to said, to thine own self be true. How do you argue with that? You know, if you don't want to change your sobriety day, don't. If you do, cool. We're not going to judge you one way or the other. But the freedom came when I did that, and I was real about what had happened. Because uh, I've been in experiences where people have, you know, puffed on stuff outside the meeting and come in. And then they're saying they're recovered. So it's uh, just something that I know for me. It's, it's real and alive. So. And that's my own experience. Um, hmm. Some of the gifts that I've received in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I got to adopt my stepson. You know, that's uh, one of those things that... Um, you know, I, I never planned to have kids or have that experience with uh, raising kids or having my own kids. I, it just came to me as a result of being clean and sober. When I was out there ripping and running, it wasn't even on the horizon. It was about using people and getting what I want and moving on. Um, and then when I got in here, you know, I, I met somebody and they had a child and I was able to adopt my son. And uh, today we have a beautiful relationship. Uh, I had to walk through some experiences with him, though. Um, he, uh, you know, I never wanted him to go through some of the destruction that he created in his own life. And I had to look through the plate glass window and tell him I wouldn't bail him out. Uh, he got three DUIs in a short period of time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he's never seen his dad drink up until today. Uh, but he, he's, he's had to, you know, correct his destruction. And I've been able to watch him grow into this man today that he is, and it's a beautiful thing. I was down there a, a year and a half ago, and I was talking to him saying, you know, son, I'm sorry I was so hard on you. And now he has kids. And uh, he said, Dad, you weren't hard enough. You know, it's, it's the reverse. It's, you know, I, I, I wanted to protect my kids and, and let them know that, you know, you don't have to do that. But they had to go down their own path, just like I had to. My mom never wanted me to go down that path and, and cause the trouble that I did, but I, I had that experience. And then one of my most profound spiritual experiences is uh, seeing the birth of my daughter. Uh, 
You know, how do you describe that? I mean, it's just, you can't. I mean, I can't put words on what that meant to me to see this baby, you know, come into the world. And currently, we're not talking. <laughs> she's, she's 28 years old, and she's got all the answers. And, you know, Dr. Phil probably would diagnose her with some things. And Jerry Springer might kind of corner her on a couple of things. But uh, anyways... It's all perception in here, what I've, I've come to understand. And um, what I've learned from my daughter is uh, even your own kids can say whatever they want. Mm -hmm. Whatever they want. And whether it's true or not, they can say and believe whatever they want. And I've had to walk through that, and it's like, hmm, you know, anger, frustration, you know, wanting to attack, wanting to, you know, kind of justify and all of that and I it was interesting because that whole experience lined up with somebody that I was very close to had the same experience and my sponsor pointed me in that direction and you know it was, it was beautiful how that unfolded so anyways it's a gift having the birth of my daughter but today it's you know it still is a gift and you know hopefully that'll resolve itself um Being a part of the Breakfast Club, you know, being a, having a home group, you know, having a sponsor that uh, knows who I am and, and what I'm truly all about, um, you know, that that's uh, that's called a home in Alcoholics Anonymous. That if you don't have a home group and don't have a sponsor, I would highly encourage it. It's uh, it's a way for me to stay in the middle of what it is that I believe in. You know, and if I am a hopeless alcoholic, I, I can never lose sight of that. So it's, uh, my circumstances changed at work. And, you know, it's always a challenge in, in, in here for me. Because I want it always to be the same. I want to sit in the same seat. I want to say the same thing. I want to see the same people. I want to do the same thing. You know, it has to be the same. But when you, it gets mixed up is when spiritual growth happens. And several months back, I got promoted at work and they told me to go to second shift and I I'll be honest with you I hate the hours I love my job but I don't like the hours I just hate them they took my life away you know no, they didn't literally take my life away it just you know I like to do things at night and so but uh, I had a home group up in Cartersville and that you know I, I can't go to the Wednesday night meeting anymore so I came over here and I like what the breakfast club had to offer you know, literature-based, and they read the promises. There's more than just the nine-step promises that they read, and it's a, it's a beautiful place to be and to be fed and to see people that are willing to uh, grow spiritually. So another gift. Um, being able to take care of my mom, you know, the last part of her life. Uh, I had an experience where I thought, and I don't know if anybody else can relate to this. I thought I was prepared for my mom to die because I saw her withering away and her mind was going. And, and I knew the end was coming. It just didn't happen on my time. Because, uh, you know, I had other plans to finish my master's degree and, you know, get certified as a teacher and all of that while I took care of mom. But she up and passed away on me. So it was just kind of one of those things. Um, you know, she went into the hospital one day, and uh, this was down in Gainesville, Florida. I went through a, con a cancer operation, and my sister took care of her. And 
anyways, uh, she she had a gallbladder that blew up. It was the size of a, a grapefruit, and you know the doctor told me he said if if you and I would have experienced that, we'd have been screaming. We'd have been like, I need to have something done because this hurts. And she never cried or anything. She just turned white, and my sister called 911, and they came and got her. But uh, when they did that, they scoped her, you know, as far as cancer. And I don't know if anybody's seen cancer on the liver, but it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty intense when it's at the liver. And they said, you know, you got a month, to, she's got a month or so to live. And, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. I didn't want mom to die, you know, but I knew it was coming. And I'm saying all of that to say that I thought I was prepared for her passing, and I wasn't. I'm a little boy. You know, I'm a grown man by number, but I'm a little boy, and my mama was my mom. And, uh, you know, that, that rocked my world. That's one of the hardest emotional things that I've had to go through in sobriety was uh, my mom passing. And uh, she showed me the way. You know, she did. Uh, when I go visit her at her house, she was, you know, she was a prayer warrior. I'd go, you know, in, to go use the restroom, and she'd be down on her knees praying. And, you know, just uh, the spirit was in her, and she modeled that for me over the years. And she walked through a lot, too. And she stayed clean and sober and just knew that this way of life was a, a gift to her. And at the end of her life, I would uh, just take her to meetings because here's the two things that she remembered. You know, I, we would ask her, anybody could ask her, Mom, how did you stay sober 43 years? And she'd say, one day at a time. And then you'd say, hey, what's the serenity prayer? And she knew that till the day she died. She could quote that verbatim till the day she died. So, uh, you know, that, that whole experience, but that death thing, I had never experienced that before. I don't care how many books I read and, you know, all that I talked about. But here's the gift that I received in Alcoholics Anonymous. My sponsor, uh, two years before that, his mom passed away, and I watched him go through it. You know, and just like me, he mourned his mom. He cried, and it was just one of those things. And uh, I didn't know what to say to him at that time, but he was there for me when I walked through it. It's just, that's a, another priceless gift that you can't put value on. Um, Mom taught me to pray. Before the meeting, I went in the back room and I got down on my knees. And I don't know if anybody's uh, familiar with page 87. It says, we constantly remind ourselves we're no longer running the show. Humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, thy will be done. And it says, I'll be in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. I become much more efficient. I don't tire so easily. And that was my prayer before I came out here because, uh, um, you know, I, I love Alcoholics Anonymous and I respect anybody that comes in those doors. I truly do. And I want to help anybody that comes in. And if you stick around any length of time, you'll see that it is a revolving door for a lot of people. And it's a gift to be able to be a part of something, but I, uh, I take my gift personal, you know, and, and to see the, uh, the lack of commitment, you know, for people in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, and I'm not saying anybody here, but just, you know, it's getting the paper sign or it's coming in and, you know, just saying I need something right now and instant gratification and, you know, what can I do to get myself, you know, satisfied in here. Some people just come for the food. 
You know, some people come for the coffee. Some people come for relationships. Some people come to get their course paper signed. And uh, whatever your motive is, I respect that. But this is a life and death situation. It is if you're an alcoholic of my type. It's a no joke situation. Uh, and the steps are important in my life, and they've been important in my life since the beginning. Um, I've always been a, a big book thumper. You know, if I sponsor you, we're going to sponsor by assignment. And if you don't do the work, cool. If you do the work, cool. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not invested. You know, I'm invested to be here and reach out my hand and share my experience with you. But if you don't do the work, that's on you. So, you know, I've been blessed over the years to see some people recover, you know, and, and create a beautiful life for themselves. But the majority of people don't, don't, don't do the process. They just come in and they want the fellowship. Um, and that's, that's, you know, it, at times that can get discouraging because the success rate in here, you know, I don't know how many people you've seen, but I've seen lots of people come in and they'll make that commitment to, you know, step one, I'm powerless over alcohol. But that second half of step one, that life unmanageable, that's a killer in here because we think we can manage our lives. And, you know, that's been my challenge ever since, the second half of step one is how do I not manage my life? And that's where the other steps come into play, is to realize that I'm not in charge. I'm not. I show up at an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting because somebody asked me to speak, and I'm saying yes, and you know whatever the recording says is what the recording says at this moment in time. But that's not facts about me. That's just how I am today. Um, I've... Uh, Anybody watch anybody die from alcoholism? Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, it's not a pleasant sight. Uh, it's, uh, and it doesn't scare us, you know, us alcoholics. It's like, whatever. You know, I'll go to the brink of destruction or death to prove that I'm not an alcoholic. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a slow, painful process. And, you know, then there's the other extreme, you know, people get depressed and then they take measures into their own hand. And I've, I've seen that, you know, and it's, uh, you know, that's, that's one of those, I don't have that experience, it just, it's, wow, you know, where do we go with that? So, Alcoholics Anonymous is a message of hope. It truly is. Uh, we have to share our experience with how life was, but the message of hope is that you can recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. It's a spiritual malady that I struggle with. Uh, so some of the things that I've walked through over the years, uh, I believe in finishing amends. If you've done inventory and you're aware of the amends that you need to make, you finish them. Uh, my experience has been you don't have living amends. You make the amends. And if there's people that have been deceased, there's people that I know and people that have been around that have done that, and they have experience with how to be free of that. Uh, people that I don't think I'll ever see again, there's experience with how to be free of that. And the book uh, allows us that opportunity to do that. But I have a, a situation where a guy who had a big book study in his house, uh, he was on the ninth step, and he didn't want to make amends to his father. You know, he held on to it. And uh, he had been sober close to four years. But he was on fire, you know, sponsoring people, big book study in his house, going to meetings and all that. And, 
One day his reprieve ran out. And he went back to his solution. So he was on step nine. And I've seen it time and time again. We go backwards in the steps. And before you know it, he's picking up a drink. And he's on first half of step one. And he drank himself to death. And I had the opportunity to go in his house and see his body cut out of the carpet. And, you know, everywhere he puked, that's where they had to cut out the carpet so they could do the investigation. And um, I'm a man. I exaggerate everything. There was probably uh, 30, 30 pieces of carpet cut out. He just drank himself to death. He wouldn't finish his amend. He wouldn't go to his father. And here's where I was wrong. It's not about what the other person did. Uh, so that, that's a, a touching, tragic story. But it's real. It's real in here. Um, I've, uh, you know, my commitment when I uh, did the process with my sponsor in England was commitment of step three is four through nine. You know, if I'm going to do the third step, it's I'm committing to the action required for four through nine. That's my commitment, you know, to finish four through nine. And uh, I've done that. You know, I've been free, you know, many, many times as a result of the steps. I do the steps on a regular basis because, you know, the, the question is how free do I want to be? How free do I want to be? I'm not walking through your life. I'm not, you know, walking through your experiences. I need to know that, you know, I am free. And, uh, you know, that's a, a priceless gift that the process of Alcoholics Anonymous offers. Um, I got a nephew, and he just got out of treatment again. He's been through, I think it's 10 or 11. You know, it's just uh, his experience. And when he got back, and um, if this is life and death, alcohol doesn't care what you think feel or believe it, it really doesn't you know it does not care what you think feel and believe and and I kind of take that into my interactions with some people you know I don't care what you think feel or believe I want to see your feet I want to see your actions you know what are your actions telling me because alcoholics you know myself included we know how to set the stage we know how to play the actor we know how to get what we want so what I've learned over the years is that, you know, I'm going to watch your feet. And you watch mine as well. If my feet don't line up with what I'm saying, then you say, hey, Brian, uh, you know, you're missing it here. Oh, okay. You know, I need that accountability. Anyways, he came back and, uh, you know, he's high because of uh, treatment. You know, he's, he's buffed up. He's been working out every day. You know, no responsibility. He's got children. He's not financially obligated to them. He's, you know... Just living high on a hog because he doesn't have to do anything but work out and go to meetings and self-discovery. And he gets home, and I get off of work, and the first thing I ask him is, what will take you out? And uh, he looked at me, and he said, well, complacency and pride. And I said, okay. You know, and again, I'm just using my experience because I don't do this just with you know, him. I do it with anybody, really. And uh, I said, the answer is nothing. Nothing will take you back out. If you're truly powerless over alcohol, nothing. So you better go after this process and, and discover this power greater than yourself within you, and that's, that's the solution. So, you know, because we'll use any excuse. And I, I challenge anybody, the next time somebody says, I went back out, ask them, you know, what, what excuse did you use to go back out? 
It won't be because they're alcoholic. It'll be because she left me. I lost my job. My motorcycle got crashed, or they didn't invite me to the motorcycle rally. You know, it'll be something, you know. They think they're better than we are, you know. So, it's just... Anyways, that, that's just been a challenge over the years, is just really understanding the severity of what we're up against. Um, uh, I want to talk about one thing, and I only got five minutes left. Uh, third step is a powerful step. I don't know if anybody has really spent a lot of time with it, but um, it, uh, there's so much in here. It says, first of all, we had to quit playing God. So I got one defect of character, and it's I think I'm God. And I think you need, you, I, I know what you need to do, you know. And I know what I need to do. And I ain't got a clue on either one of those. You know, if I think I know what I need to do, that, uh, that, that means I'm playing God. You know, and it tells me that. I, I got to, first of all, quit playing God. And how does a selfish, self-centered, egotistical, self-righteous, pompous, you know, person like me, you do that. It's, it's, uh, it's an experience. It's moment by moment. You know, how do, how, do I, uh, how do I incorporate this spiritual way of life into my being? How do I do that? You know, prayer and meditation is easy to talk about, but do I really, do I really take the suggestions and use them? You know, or am I controlling my own life? I manage 25 people in my job, and I don't know if anybody is in that kind of role, but managing 25 people, it's like herding kittens. Everybody's got their own will, their own experience, their own things that they want to do, and I'm there to guide, and you know, some people, they, they just don't want to be guided. You know, and they'll let you know in a nanosecond, excuse me, call Rodney. Okay, Rodney, come in and talk, and you know, it's like, gee. So Rodney's the power greater than me. You know, because he's my boss. So, anyways, this uh, this this statement in here just baffles me to no end. And uh, as we felt new power flow, it's on page sixty-three. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind. You know, I know what that means today. You know, that's that freedom that Alcoholics Anonymous the process offers. That peace of mind, that freedom. You know, what does that mean today to me? You know. As we discovered we could face life successfully without running, Brian, does that mean I can take responsibility for my actions in sobriety? Yeah. Yeah. And stay sober? Yeah. My experience with my daughter. You know. One of the hardest things that I've had to work, walk through physically was uh, I got in a mountain bike accident. And uh, as some of you know from the Breakfast Club, I just ran a half marathon, and I'm training for a full marathon and all that. And, but anyways, this, uh, this mountain bike accident, I landed on my head. I had 14 staples in the back of my head. I broke my C7 vertebrae in my neck. I broke my sternum, broke my hand. I was hospitalized for four days, had the neck brace on for 87 days. So needless to say, I was banged up. But that was a, the most physical intense uh, challenge in my life. And I could have sat around and got addicted to all kinds of stuff because they were prescribing it. But I was accountable to my sponsor for the 
the medicine I was taking. Um, and what, what the gift was is people around me were going back out on prescription drugs, so they taught me what I don't want to do. You know, it's, it's just kind of one of those things. We'll, we'll experience life successfully regardless of what we walk through. Uh, and we became conscious of his presence. We began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes because it's always today and the hereafter. I, I, that just blows me away. And it says we were reborn. You know, what does that mean? Uh, there's another book that talks about you know, somebody coming to somebody that was much wiser than he was and asked him, does that mean I go back into my mother's womb? You're an idiot. No, it's a spiritual rebirth. You know, it's, how do I, I, I bring my spirit alive in this process? Um, you know, I've been fortunate over the years to, to understand the desperation of what I'm up against, even though I've been sober for a long time. I never do the steps and start out at step three or 12. I always go to step one. And, you know, it, it reminds me of what, I, what I'm up against in here. So, I, uh, there's a quote that I like, and it is, and the time came when the risk, the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. And I'll read that again. And the time came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. And uh, that's been my challenge in here over the years that I've been here, is to not be stuck in what I think I know. You know, to have an open mind and a new experience in all areas of my life. And uh, if I truly understand the process, God is only in this moment, this moment, this moment and this moment. And I'm going to shut up now.